God needed a telephone number, so he got him one. It's a cell phone number, to be exact, to show that God was, quote, available anywhere and anytime. He said, in earlier times, you would go to church to say a prayer, and now this is an opportunity to just make a phone call and say your prayer in a modern way. It seems that a lot of people appreciated the opportunity that uh, this man had afforded them with his divine hotline. Within one week, over 1,000 people left God a message. What I think is fascinating, though, is that when they call that number, they get the following message. This is the voice of God. I am not able to speak to you at the moment, but please leave a message. True story. It seems to me, at the risk of sounding critical, that all he has done is uh, help people make a connection with a disconnected God. Now, I could be mistaken, but I think that Jesus had something a little bit more intimate and personal in mind when he taught his disciples this prayer that we're looking at together in Matthew chapter 6. You think that's a possibility? Just something a little more than that. And and my guess is that that the the believers in Acts chapter 2, that early gathering of Christians, uh, from Acts 2 that we have been looking at for, for several weeks now together, they were devoted to prayer. And I think that they were devoted to prayer because there was something that was, was far more significant going on. And you remember we've said that it's very likely that in that early gathering of believers in Jerusalem, the disciples were there. Eleven out of the original twelve were probably a part of that gathering of believers. And those disciples had been with Jesus more than anyone else in that group. They had been with Jesus. They had spent three years with Jesus. They listened. They watched. They traveled with. They knew Jesus as well as anyone could possibly know Jesus. And I'm, su- I- I'm suspicious that uh, they heard him pray often. They watched him go off to find a quiet place to pray. Numbers of times in the Gospels that is recorded. Several times the disciples come and find him because he's been in a remote place talking with his father. The disciples knew something about prayer. And I think that the Jerusalem believers were devoted to prayer because they were learning from the disciples prayer as Jesus had taught them. They are the ones who were present when Jesus answered the response. Lord, teach us to pray. It was these guys who asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And so they remember back to that day. They remember the lesson that Jesus taught them. And we hear Jesus say right up front in this prayer that he teaches his disciples what I think is possibly the most significant thing in the prayer. And we talked about it last week. I want us to to go there a little bit further together this week. Let's stand and read, shall we? It's a familiar text. Um, Got a couple of readings this morning. The first one comes from the NIV. 
And then I'd like for us to read the message following this translation, because I think Peterson hits on some things and says some things in a way that uh, that really bring this truth out for us. Let's read together. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right. From the message together. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with. And he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. My brothers and my sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. All right. We talked about it last week. We read it a couple of times just now. The one word that Jesus would have used in this prayer that would have stunned his disciples. What is it? Exactly. Father. Father. Last week we talked about this being an invitation to intimacy. It's, it's huge, my friends. At least in the lives of those first century followers of Jesus, this is huge. They were well versed. These Jewish men, they were well versed in the history of their people. And that history put Yahweh at the center of it all. Creator of the universe, the creator of all people. He's all powerful. He's the one who had decimated the Egyptians. He had parted the Red Sea. He had split the earth open at one point, and it swallowed up several thousand of their own people who were disobedient. He had knocked down the walls of Jericho. And on and on and on the history goes, proclaiming the greatness and the power of God. And in all of the Old Testament, there is nowhere where the people are encouraged or given permission to refer to Yahweh as Father. There are a few places where he's referred to in an analogy, Father-like, but nowhere, nowhere, hear that, nowhere in all of their scriptures and in the history of their people are they ever encouraged or given permission to refer to this incredible God as Father, Papa. 
way too intimate, way too scary, way too close to this God who holds their lives in his hand. To call Yahweh Father was shocking to those first century followers. And yet, I wonder if there wasn't something that just kind of excited them as well. Made their hearts raise a little bit at the prospect. I read a story this week of a Muslim woman from Pakistan. Not sure how you say her name. I think it's Bilkishik. It kind of looks that way. She was sitting at her grandson's bedside in the hospital. And as she waited for test results to come back, her grandson's daughter, excuse me, her grandson's doctor, who was also a nun, stopped by the room. The doctor was surprised to see this Muslim grandmother holding a Bible. As the two of them talked, Madame Sheikh admitted to the doctor that she had been searching for God for a long time. The doctor explained how important her relationship to God was. The grandmother said, you seem to make God so personal. The doctor said, well, why don't you pray to the God you are searching for? Ask him to show you his way. Talk to him as if he were your friend, the doctor suggested. Madame Sheik smiled and she thought to herself, she might as well suggest I talk to the Taj Mahal. Then the doctor said something that hit the grandmother like an electric shock. Talk to him as if he were your father. Talk to God as if he were my father? It was startling. And yet somehow it was comforting. Later that evening, alone in her room, She got down on her knees and and tried to call God Father. She couldn't get the word out of her mouth. Wasn't it sinful to bring the Great One down to a human level? She began thinking of how loving her father was to her when she was a child. He didn't mind if I bothered him. Whenever I had a question or a problem, no matter how busy he was, he would put aside his work to devote his full attention just to me, she thought. Suddenly... Hope just flooded inside of her. If my earthly father would put aside everything to listen to me, wouldn't my heavenly father? Shaking with great anticipation, she got out of bed, she sank to her knees, she looked up to heaven, and she called upon God as her father. Now, nice story. But let's be honest. When was the last time you shook in anticipation of talking to God as your father? You don't have to answer that. When was the last time I shook in anticipation of talking to God as my father? I'm pretty sure, my friends, that this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, this this model prayer, as it is often called, it's so familiar. And in fact, 
it has become something so entirely different than what Jesus intended it to become in the lives of those believers, in the lives of future followers, you and me, that it will not, it will not grab us and it will not light a fire in our lives like it did in those first century followers in Jerusalem unless we too can have a similar wow experience like they did. Now, this will probably sound strange, but it's not the first time I've said strange things, right? I think that a big part of our problem has to do with that word, Father. I think a big part of it has to do with our, our concept and our experience of fatherhood. The truth is that some of us here have had horrendous earthly fathers. Horrendous experiences at the hands of earthly fathers. It's a painful reality. And for those, they struggle to think of anything good related to a father. That's legitimate. The thing is, it was true in Jesus' day as well. People had bad fathers then too. People had negligent and abusive fathers and absentee fathers. And Jesus still encouraged his followers to address Yahweh as Father. Now, on the other side of it, there are lots of us in here who have had good fathers, if not great fathers. But that's a problem, too, because they're still imperfect. And as great as they are, they're not great enough. They're not the standard that is set for us in this prayer. We are tainted in our understanding of fatherhood because of the human condition. I think, I think we need to be reminded of a fundamental theological truth that this whole prayer is built on. And this just struck me. In the early morning hours, as a matter of fact. So, it's like this, this thought came into my heart and I thought, whoa, I need to go more in this direction than where I was intending to go. So, don't get your hopes up. It doesn't mean that the sermon is any shorter. <laughs> However, it is a bit different than uh, what I intended. I, I'm, I'm convinced that we need to camp on this particular point for just a little bit together this morning. So, so let's do that. And, and to start that, I want to I ask you to have a, a conversation with your neighbor, someone nearby. Here it is. Thinking in terms of, of parent-child relationships, and specifically because of the context of the prayer, of a father and a child, what might be some differences between the relationship of a child and their birth father as compared to a child and their adopted father or father to adopted child? 
I'm sure we've got folks in here who have adopted children who who could uh, could really enlighten us. But, but talk with your neighbor. What might be some of the differences? Child with natural father, child with adoptive father. All right. Just bat that idea around for a minute with your neighbor. What do you think? That's good. (laughs) Come back to that point. Okay, what do you think? Enough time? Could go on and on, right? Okay, I'm curious. Uh, tell, us, tell us what you heard. What were some of the comments that, that came out of your discussion? Don't be shy. He didn't talk about it, right? No. <laughs> Lee? exactly right and in fact did you hear that a a father who adopts chooses that child biological father doesn't have a choice and we sometimes laugh don't we about the accidents that have become our children that doesn't happen with parents who are adopting what else Doug, please. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, you did. You answered it. <laughs> as poorly formulated as it was. In some instances, I'm sure that's true. It's reasonable. Yeah, yeah, good. Andrew. Hmm. I think a lot of times there are 
Okay. Do you hear that? Sometimes there are barriers of acceptance that are on both sides that have to be crossed. Yeah. That's, that's legit. What else, Alan? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Okay. Okay, good. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, good, good. What else? Gary? You. <laughs> Go, Gary. <laughs> Okay. So true, so true. Baggage from the past, so to speak. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. It, it, there, there, are, there are so many similarities, and yet there, there are some stark differences, I think. And, and the most pronounced was verbalized by a couple. The father who is going to adopt a child chooses to adopt the child. There is a deliberate choice. There is movement in that direction to take on that commitment, if you will. Now, I know that we can't make too much of this comparison because we're, we're always putting our, our human understanding of fatherhood, uh, whatever the realm is, against the reality of who God is as father. So, so undoubtedly it breaks down, but... But let me remind you of an important passage. We've seen this before. It deals with this very topic. In Romans chapter 8, just make a note of that and and go back later today and read that chapter. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul talks about the life that we have been given through Christ as opposed to life under the law, which was no life at all, according to Paul. 
Therefore, he says, brothers and sisters, we, <clears throat> excuse me, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, that's life under the law, even though you're trying to keep the law, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now listen closely. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption. And by that Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Would have been the same word that Jesus would have used in teaching his disciples this prayer. Abba, Father. We translate it in the Greek, but Aramaic was the language of the day. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, let me use my, my spiritual gift of pointing out the obvious here for just a moment. If through faith in Christ and the work of the Spirit, we were adopted at some point in time as children of God, and that's what Paul is talking about, then that means that prior to that point in time, we were not children of God. You with me? If at some point we became children of God, then at some point prior to that point, we weren't children of God. I know this is brilliant, but hang on, it, get, it gets better. In the early verses of that same chapter, Paul talks about our minds and our thinking process before we became children of God. He describes our thinking as hostile to God. Not only were we unwilling to surrender to God's love, he says we were unable to surrender to God's love until the Spirit opened our spiritual eyes. Then if you turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, we would hear the apostle use words to describe us when we were not children of God. He calls us the objects of wrath. Even nice people like us could never measure up to the magnificence of God's holiness. We deserved, according to Paul in Ephesians 2, to be rejected by God. Objects of wrath that is left to our own demise. And then he says this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in sins, it is by grace that you have been saved. To be saved is to be made a child of God. Adopted into a family that we did not belong to, nor did we deserve it. Are you with me? Okay. This is so important for us. So important for us to understand that God adopted us as his children. Because of faith in Christ, we become members of his family. Now, why did God do this? Most of us would probably raise our hand and say, because he loved us. We know that to be true. But we don't live like it is. Theologically, we understand that it's orthodox. But on a daily, practical basis, we live a little bit more like atheists in terms of how it penetrates our thinking and our living. God adopted us as his children because he loved us. He didn't adopt you 
because you're a really nice person. He didn't adopt you simply because you're a nice person or because you're not as bad as your neighbor or someone at work. He adopted you because he loves you. And you were adopted, according to Paul's language that we just heard, when you were God's enemy. He didn't adopt you because you're an unselfish person who cares about others. He adopted you because he loves you and you were an enemy. He didn't adopt you because you give money to charity or because you're aligned with the correct political party and you make the right votes. It seems absurd, I know. We know that God saved us because he loved us, but the reality is we don't bring that to the table of how we live our lives. How does that truth that God adopted me when I didn't deserve to be adopted simply because he loved me and there was nothing in me that deserved his love or his favor or my adoption into his family? Does it work its way out into our daily lives and into our prayer lives? Are we devoted to prayer as those early believers were in Acts chapter 2? Yeah, we can say, well, they were Jews. They were in the tradition of praying three times a day, morning, afternoon, evening. And and on certain holidays, they would pray more than that. But something was happening in their midst, and I think it had to do with this very thing right here. They had never in their wildest dreams thought of Yahweh as their father. That's incredible. That was a wow experience in their lives. Made possible because of their faith in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, their invitation to intimacy is our invitation to intimacy. And I think it starts with understanding what Jesus was calling us to. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let's say that together. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. One more time, I think we'll have it. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. How many times have we said that in our lifetimes? And it just kind of right on by. If we don't understand the truth of what Jesus is is inviting us to here, then the rest of this prayer really means nothing. Calling God Father is the privilege of the child. I like the fact that Jesus uses the plural pronoun. Certainly he is my father, he is your father, but Jesus prays our father, his father and their father, his father and our father. I think he was including himself, reminding us that prayer to our Father identifies us with a a huge and wonderful and diverse family, all adopted by an amazing God who loves for no other reason than that he loves. I like what John Stott says about this prayer. He says the entire prayer is less concerned with the protocol in approaching God than with the truth of who he is. To establish within the believer the right frame of mind. We start 
with this invitation to intimacy, understanding that we have undeservedly been adopted into this family by a God who loves and is amazing. And it's, it's that starting point, I think, that helps us understand and bring meaning to the rest of the prayer. It is more than just words that we pray on occasion at a funeral or in worship. It is powerful. It is life-changing. Praise team, why don't you come on ahead and lead us in response this morning. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let's pray together. Father, creator of the universe, Father, God of incredible power and might, Father, God who holds and sustains every form of life, on planet Earth. Father. God who is 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 holy and, and pure and righteous beyond our wildest imagination. Father. How many times? How many times, O oh Father, have we allowed the significance of what Jesus is inviting us to, to just pass on by. Spirit of the living God who brought us into the family of God, would you open our hearts, open our minds, connect the two in our lives so that we live with new and amazed excitement and expectation of what it means to be your adopted children. We pray that the words of this prayer will become more than just familiar. We pray that because you give us a greater understanding of what it means to have you as our Father, that these words will transform our lives, our thinking, our actions, our relationships, everything that is part of who we are. We ask in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray this way. Amen.